You're welcome on in. Enswell Boxing, Ireland's only boxing podcast. I'm Al Rich. And you'll find all our episodes, new and old, www.enswellboxingpodcast.com. You can WhatsApp us, 083351-5250. And of course, you'll find us on all the social media platforms. You bum. You're a bum dosser. And you're welcome on in indeed. Round 13. We'll, sh- we'll call this one. Round 13 plays out to be what we think it's going to be. If it takes up from where round 12 finished off, we are in for a barn burner. It's a privilege. It's a pleasure. It's everything it needs to be for this final preview episode of Fury Wilder 2. And here's what we've got coming. Three world champions today we've got on this episode. We've got former two-weight world champion, Pauly Malinaji. Pauly takes a little bit of time out from his showtime commitments from his sunny trip to Florida. Not on bit envious at all, Pauly, not one bit envious, but had a great chat with Pauly yesterday, and he's going to enlighten as to how he sees the fight playing out. He talks a little bit about Juventus Football Club, he talks a little bit about the Olympic boxing scenario, and, of course, a whole lot about Fury Wilder too. We have the Ireland and Belfast legend, my pal, really, really, really love chatting with him and love listening to him and love learning from him all the time. The pocket rocket, the Olympic silver medalist and former world champion, Wayne McCullough. And of course, this morning, just in, just dropped off by Carrier Pigeon, the former Dublin world champion, middleweight world champion, an absolute diamond of a character, a top fella, always willing to chat, always willing to give his time, Jim Rock will be on as well and all that is wrapped up as myself and Kieran McIver of Boxing Bands talk about how we think things will play out tonight will we agree will we disagree will we have different opinions will we have the same opinions you're going to have to wait and see it's all coming in the next hour or a little bit more than that this time around ends well boxing so looking at all the narratives, looking at everything you've heard all week, we've heard from Richard Towers, we've heard from Nick Noonan, we've covered the miles this week. We've been to Sheffield, we've been to Australia, we've been to Florida, we've been to Las Vegas, we've been back to Dublin, and now we're still here in Kildare in the studio, looking at the wind, listening to the wind, and my pal Jack Daniels has just arrived here for the weekend, and I think this oh, is going to get a bit raucous, I think it's going to get a bit unruly, lads. And ladies, I think it's getting a bit unruly. i got to give a big shout-out to my old pal, to somebody who's been there with a word of kindness, with a word of support, and a, a, a virtual shoulder to cry on at times, to Siobhan, uh, Joey, down there in Australia, and the amazing coach and manager, husband, and everything else, best pal, everything to her, is, of course, is double. It was Siobhan put me in touch with my, of course, new friend as well, Mooney. Where are you? I hear you're getting house trained. Man, you're selling us out. Selling out to lads team. Come on, Laura. Laura, go easy on him. You can't be house training and within a month of getting married, for Christ's sake. Mooney, put up a bit of a struggle, will you? Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding, sort of. But uh, yeah, all the narratives this week are, of course, Fury's no power. He's 20 knockouts. Wilder's got no boxing. He's an Olympic medal. Fury can only win on points. But he's going to try and knock him out. Wilder can't win on points. Really? Who knows? Who knows? What way it's all going to go? It doesn't matter anymore. The talk is done. The shit talk is over. The smack talk. The he said, she said, we said, and they think, and we think, and who says what, where, and how, when. Doesn't matter anymore. It's all about to go down. Because when that first bell goes tonight, 
it's going to get real. And here's a little bit of a, an audio montage that was done by Sylvester Stallone for The Zone a few months ago in the, uh, the build-up to Joshua Ruiz 2. And you're going to hear Mike Tyson, you're going to hear Evander Holyfield talk about the effects and what the effects of a big shot to the head, temple and over-the-ear area. And you're going to hear these warriors talk about the effects of these colossal shots on the body and how the brain reacts and disconnects from the body at times. It's fascinating, it's insightful, and if you haven't heard it before, you're going to want to hear it now. Took my breath away. His equilibrium. That's your equilibrium. He's okay. His body's fucked up. Never got hit like that before. When you get hit right here, somehow you it's kind of burned red right here in the midbrain, right? This it's almost like your head hitting something. And for anybody who may not have seen this amazing piece of short film, you're listening to Evander Holyfield, and he's pointing to the side of his head, talking about getting clipped above the ear, and the feeling, the sensation he gets is at the front of his face, around his nose and the front of his face. That's never happened to him before. It's never happened to him. He's never been hurt before. He's never been in that situation before, and it's kind of scary, and you kind of panic a little bit. Perspective change. We're fighting. You know we have a fight. This might be a long night. He's conscious. Everything's cool. His body's not responding. He can't do nothing. His body's... He can't control this. It's all f***ed up. He don't know why he's doing this. What? He knows he's in trouble. He knows he's in a lot of trouble. He knows he's in a lot of trouble. Personally speaking... Regardless of how it plays out, regardless of how it wins, who wins and when they win, this just has that special feeling to it. It has the build-up that you can associate with all the top fights we've had in recent years, Mayweather-McGregor. Regardless of the the quality of that, the build-up to it was sensational. The build-up to Mayweather-Pacquiao was sensational. The build-up to all those Tyson fights, the Lewis fights, back in those days, we really haven't had build-ups like it on a scale like this and it's really starting now to catch fire it's like a bushfire for want of a better and I hate to use that analogy but it is it's like a fire that just gets going when the wind gets behind it and the breeze and the momentum and it just drifts and and, and swooshes across the landscape and that's what's happening here not just across the sporting landscape there are people would you believe who know nothing about boxing and have no interest in boxing but they're watching it they're listening into it and they're talking about it so that's when it transcends sport, it becomes into that marginal, not certainly not on the scale of Mayweather-McGregor, certainly not on the scale of those big ones, but it is certainly gaining traction. And were they to have a third one, you can only just imagine what it will be. So looking at the weigh-ins last night, both of them have come in heavier. Uh, for Sefer Seferi, Tyson Fury was 19 stone 10, I understand. He came in last night at a 19 stone 7, so he's 3 pound, 3 kilo lighter than he was for that. Wilder is up to 16.7, a little bit heavier, a good bit heavier than the last one, but still giving away nearly 3 stone. And when you look at it, and when you think about it again, I keep reminding people, not saying that this is fact, or not saying that this is from any sort of inside knowledge, because it's not, it's just my... It's just my analysis of it. All of a sudden, the WWE uh, venture wasn't maybe as silly or as crazy as people led it at the time, labelled it at the time. Maybe it wasn't a case of just money, of course, massive money involved in it, but where are you going to find, Tyson Fury, somebody bigger, stronger and broader than you that you can learn to manipulate your weight to suit or use your strength and use anything else? 
you're not going to find it in the boxing world because there's not going to be anybody bigger than you certainly not anybody as skilled or as athletic because say what you like about WWE say what you like about the, uh, what you feel about it the fact is they are athletic guys they are super super athletic and he was in the ring with the likes of Braun Strowman people like that who were massive massive men and learned to ma- manipulate their weight and learned to manoeuvre them around the ring so this could all part have been and, and I don't doubt it for a second I've watched him long enough to know that he is a supremely cerebral fighter he loves to think about fighting he loves to he's a boxing historian he knows what he's doing so you're looking at the referee Kenny Bayless he's is a, a established referee with a long long record well respected uh, the, the judges I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to jinx it but Glenn Feldman Dave Moretti Steve Weisfeld let's just watch let's just watch there's one in the middle of all those three that I would have serious reservations about but look let's watch it and see I think we, we, we is the best we can say for now I've held off up until Friday before I immersed fully in it and now I can tell you I am absolutely I'm over my ears in it up to my neck completely submersed in the coverage because it's just when you're trying to make content when you're trying to produce your own you want to keep it a little bit original you want to keep that little bit of unique touch to it not copy what everything else is saying and doing you don't want to be a copying everybody else that's just the way I do it I got let go on Friday morning and I watched the fight back and wow wow that's where I got the name for this 13th round have a little bit of a listen to some of the audio from that final round and it will remind you exactly where we left off searched a little bit to find a clip that would really um, replicate and remind us properly 
of the events of that night and that final round and the one I chose because you can listen if you listen in between the somewhat biased commentary you will hear the thudding shots now you can listen to all the narratives you like from all the quote-unquote experts that you like point is you've got two men who are a combined 50 stone between them or thereabouts there is no such thing as no pain there is no such thing as no power there's no such thing as no hurting shots listen to the thudding shots in those 10 ounce gloves as they bounce off each other's skull more or less on parts of their body and then remind yourself that they're carrying a bulk of the guts of 20 stone each for 12 rounds 12 rounds 12 3 minute rounds 36 minutes and then you tell me that no matter who wins tonight no matter what the outcome and how it comes out you tell me then that there's not something special there's not something gladiatorial there's not something absolutely unique about fighters that can do that put themselves through that for the entertainment and love of a sport yes yes these guys happen to be getting paid colossal amounts of money but do you know something when it's at this level and when it's providing this much entertainment and when it's transcending sport across the world around this globe of ours this mixed up afflicted conflicted at each other's throats most of the time but for 36 minutes tonight I would say there is a large proportion of this planet and I'm not being dramatic and I'm not being overly dramatic maybe I am and if I am what are you going to deal about the point is for 36 minutes tonight we are going to be entertained like we've never been entertained in a long time <laughs> and uh, yeah I'm getting dramatic now and I'm getting excited and the spidey senses are tingling and the goosebumps are going and the fucking feet are still freezing but that's it. Irish boxing fans will know and love the channel on YouTube, Boxing Bants, and their presenter, and their producer, and their editor, and all rolled into one, Kieran MacGyver. Kieran has reached out to me on a couple of times, and I've reached out to him on a couple of times, and we've done a couple of collabs, and we've built up a good connection, a good working relationship. Don't always agree on everything, always have different points, but never arguing, never anything else, but it's brilliant. And you know what it was from a fella like me, who was breaking into this uh, somewhat saturated boxing market of podcasting, YouTubing and all the rest. It was very welcoming to have Kieran get in touch with me and me with him. And it's brilliant to have a working relationship. And I can tell you, we've got plans. Yeah, we've got plans. But uh, let Kieran tell you a little bit more about that because he's got the face for the TV. Me has the face for the radio. And uh, we really did enjoy our little catch up yesterday. It's just a prediction game. It really is what, what, what they choose to do. And- um, if you're saying that Wilder's going to knock him out, you're saying that on the whim of you think that Fury's going to make a mistake, but you don't know if he is. Do you know what I mean? So you're kind of guessing. Yeah, I, I, what amazes me, what amazes me, Kieran, is now, and and I was guilty of it with Wilder. I'm I'm all in on Wilder now. I used to do the same. I'd sit back and pick. We can all sit back and pick the flaws. They're there for anyone who knows what they're looking at. You can see them. Mm. But the point is. None of them matter when that right hand connects, and and that's that's the that it's probably one it's it's one of the rarest things in boxing right now is there's very few while Fury's the only one that's come back from it. So mm. when that right hand lands, it's over. Now yeah. you can you can question with Fury. They can say what fascinating to listen to Jack Reese here and hear how he was able to to tell points. And that was, I love, a lot more referees should be made come out, whether it's football or boxing, and say, explain why did you let that gap? Because he knew that the fact that his leg was up that he wasn't unconscious. So that from, mm-hmm. And he knew that from being an EMT. Little yeah. things like that help the fans understand that, okay, he was. this is what he's looking at. These guys know. And then you have the likes of Adelaide Bird, who 
probably just looking up into the bleachers or whatever half the time. So it's the narrative for the week is either Fury points or while a knockout. But I don't I don't know if I agree with that. Like I I'm going for I, a I really stoppage. think Tyson can stop him. I yeah. really think Tyson can stop him. Like and um I've thought about it more and more and the more I think about it and the more I've kind of watched over the the, the, the fight and stuff like that, I really think he can because this is a few different things. Now, the reason why I wouldn't think Wilder would win a point is because I, I just don't think in, in the rounds he does enough or would land enough significant shots outside of dropping Fury to win rounds, enough rounds. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't, especially against someone like Tyson Fury who is relies on his engine and is constantly busy, even if he's not uh, sitting into a shot or sitting into his, his jab and stuff like that. If you watch in the first fight, his jab, it's almost just like a flick. Yeah, he's that that really stands there. And if you're watching the fight, like some people are saying that he's going to switch to Sepa, which doesn't really make sense because I know Wilder has difficulty with Sepa's, but in the first fight, if you watch, um, because he has his left hand leading, he's flicking his jab, but when he's flicking it, he's flicking to to the right hand side of Wilder's head. So what Wilder is doing, he's constantly bringing his right hand up beside his head. Because Wilder, when he's looking to throw his right hand, he brings it between his his nipple and his and his waist. And that's when he's dangerous. That's when, when he's liable to throw. That's when you know, if you watch all his knockouts, his hand's there, ready. But in that fight, Fury kept flicking him there. So he had to keep his hands up here all the time. And whenever his hand was here, then Fury would lead with 1-2 and then roll under. Because then when he rolled under, Wilder tried to throw, throw a hook. But, um, so yeah, so through the rounds, like because Fury's that a little bit more, more, much more busier, it's harder for Wilder to win rounds. I know people are thinking that he's going to come out and he's going to be improved in that. But ultimately, if we're being honest, he's probably going to have to still knock him out regardless. Even if he looks better, he's probably not outside of dropping him in rounds if he does drop him or knock him out he's going to have to win more rounds and that's really difficult. Um, Like, if you look at his, if you look at the people he's knocked out, um, like he has set them up really well, but it's when the person is, like if the person's dazed or they're planting their feet in fatigue, like anytime you plant your feet with him, that's when he's going to throw and if you watch the, the, the knockout against Ortiz, the last one, he had he's brought his hand but he's he's holding his hand then his right hand side and he knows he's ready to throw but he's up against the rope now he's one of the fighters that he's actually um just as dangerous when he's up against the rope as you are when you're up against the rope because there's no ground behind him so when he's up against the rope his hands down here now so he's waiting for you to step so what he was doing he was putting his hand out and he was just prying he wasn't even throwing it he was putting it up to Ortiz's face, holding it there to see if Ortiz moved his head or changed his look or tried to step into him. And if he stepped into him, he was going to throw the right hand straight away. But Ortiz, from the first fight, did that when he was up against the ropes and he got knocked out. So Ortiz then didn't step into it. So Wilder was prying his hand forward, prying, and Ortiz didn't change his look. So he says, right, he's not moving forward, but he's not moving backwards. So if you watch the fight then, what Wilder does is, is he circles until, until because they're in the corner, essentially. 
So the way he circles, now Ortiz is up against the rope. So you know he's not going to move backwards when he has Wilder up against the rope. So he's like, right, if I get him to the rope now, he's not going to step into the shot. But he's not going to step away. So he wasn't... <laughs> so he just calculated it, obviously, whether it's subconscious or subconscious. So, but he was up against the rope, putting his hand out. Right, he's not taking a step back. I circle him now. He circles. And then he's still planting his feet. Right hand through the middle. But the times when... If you watch the Fury fight when he's when he's throwing punches, when he's sorry defending himself, any time Fury throws, if you watch any time Fury throws, his bow hands, uh, Wilder's hands are bow here. If you never see Fury throwing a, a two a one two, when his hands is down here, his right hand, um, so that's when he's most dangerous, which is actually supposed to come from the really old um time, real old school times from Russian coaching bringing the hand down to the side and having your uh, jab up, trying to disguise it. Hopefully uh, Tyson would be that bit more aggressive um, because no, no, not necessarily, uh, it's hard to explain. Uh, well, aggressive in spots, that's kind of what I mean. Um, He's not going to stand and trade with him. Anyone like, that believes like, that, it's not going to happen. Like Ben Davison was saying how that to start the way he was only flicking the jab to keep his right, right hand up and not really doing much more because he was just so afraid and very aware of getting caught early on. He just didn't want that to happen. But um, but he was yet still kind of nicking the rounds. Whereas this time, and when he sees throwing his jab, when he when he was fainting, he'd faint one, two. He has a great double faint. He'd go boom, boom. And then he'd kind of jab after it with a double jab. But usually when you're doing that double jab or whatever, or fainting, you're actually covering ground. You're taking steps forward towards the person. But uh, what Tyson was doing was very, very clever. He Every time he was doing that, he was fainting. But as he was fainting, he was stepping sideways yeah. and then jab sideways. So no matter what, Wilder always had to turn and circle. And because all Wilder was waiting for you is to, is to take that step forward and then he shoots. Leave your head on the centre, stay on the centre line, and you're just a sitting target. So he wasn't closing any distance, Tyson, but he was still clipping him and moving, and uh, just constantly trying to move uh, Wilder the whole fight. He did it numerous times, and any time then uh, is is back at the ropes, he would just simply just come under when Wilder was throwing the one two, and then step in and then smother. but this this one, I think, I think uh, like Andy Lee was talking about how they're trying to get him to start using his jab as a weapon now. You know, he said his jab was good before, but he only kind of flicked it. He would never sit into it. And he said now he wants to kind of use it, it as a weapon to actually bounce back Wilder's head. And it's just it's interesting to see how he's going to do that um, without closing too much distance for Wilder. And I'm sure there's very small idiosyncrasies about his footwork. Andy's supposed to be very good at, mm. and um, I can imagine that'll have an effect on the fight. Um, but yeah, like I, th- I think fighting on the inside and stuff like that, I don't think that's that's ever going to really happen because I, I think Fury can can ex- can get Wilder to expend energy in in the inside, as in clinching and things like that, because he is the bigger man and he's the stronger man. But I think I think anybody that believes he's going to stand and trade. With uh, Wilder, it would be naive to think that, wouldn't it? I don't think that's going to happen. Oh. So with the experience of the Kronk team behind him, yes, 
I think you're right about being more committed to the job. I think he definitely could get in behind and commit to it some more, make it more of a weapon. Yeah. Um, uh, another thing I was going to say, sorry about the uh, Grassman, sorry. Um, oh, go for it, yeah. In the times where he was flicking uh, the his 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 job to, to the right hand side of Wilder's head, obviously you can't really do that when you're in southpaw position because you're right hand, you're reaching to the to the opposite side of the head, and he's kind of almost committing himself. And one shot is dangerous for a southpaw against someone like Wilder is the the right hand then the the middle as well as the danger for Wilder. Yeah. But sorry, but um, but anyway, so when you flicking the left hand at Wilder, he hit the head and he was keeping his hand up. That's when Tyson said, right, I have a chance to throw one, two now because his hand isn't by his side, so he's not going to shoot. So what you do is you go one, two, and then roll under the hook and usually either step out or smother him, whatever you do after that. But um, I noticed in, in those spots that um, Wilder, when, he, when he's here like this and Fury would throw one, two, not only does he plant his feet every time, but he actually stands square. One is in front of the other. His right is in fr- his uh, left is in front of his right. He actually plants them square right together, and he lets Tyson throw the two shots, and then he tries to go after. So from that from that standpoint, it'd be interesting to see, like you said, after he rolls under the hook, can he follow up with more? Because very much, uh, Wilder's like a sitting duck when he does that, you know. Yeah, on the other side as well, you notice that at times when Wilder is guarding, and he's throwing that left. The, the the right isn't always tight to the it's not always tight here it, it it tends to tends to move a little bit so when he's coming to the center even if he delays it for that second yeah. if it's like a faint or if he just if he, if he slips a little bit does a faint and then just sits a little bit down and they like another another naive comment is that oh Tyson has no no power he's twenty knockouts you know what mm. I mean he's six foot nine he's the guts of twenty stone. If he's putting everything he has on a shot and a fella's coming towards it with his momentum, yeah. I'm sorry, I don't care who you are, you're going to feel it. Yeah. You know, your little 10-ounce gloves. It's, these are a lot of lazy cliches to get thrown out. Yeah, maybe he's not that concussive power that Wilder has, but that's what makes him a more rounded fighter. He's not reliant on that one. No, um, no. And as well as that, I suppose we have to look a little bit as well. I think it's anyone that watches it closely as well in that first fight Tyson was constantly rolling slipping out to the right that has to be they'll have to check that as well I'm sure mm. he's not going to be it, yeah. it, it's it's amazing to think that the fighter and Paulie said this earlier on two points Paulie made was uh, to think that a fighter of Muhammad Ali's uh, he's into the, the realm of defending the same amount of times as Muhammad Ali that they weren't able to cop those points you know that uh, that's hard to fathom but also, I said it to him about the southpaw stance, and he said, yeah, I agree with you. He says, but what you have to remember is, he said, it's one thing being able to be in offense, to be offensive in the southpaw stance, but he said, what's your defense like from a southpaw stance? That is a brilliant point. Mm-hmm. That's why Pauli Malinaji is Pauli Malinaji, and I'm here, because he's he's 100% right. It's, he said, it's one thing when you're being offensive and you're 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 coming forward with it, with your, with your southpaw, but he said, if you can't defend as well as you do, yeah. Well, then he said it's you're you're almost feeding into his hands. He says by going south post. So yeah. look, bottom line is, uh, I just it just depends on what the two of them do. Uh, like the consensus, Fury's a better boxer, but he's the one that's going to have to make make a mistake. Uh, Wilder, someone who, um, I think the way he set up his shots, like in the last fight, you could see Wilder. He was chasing him for the twelve rounds, looking for the the right hand, and he wasn't setting up his right hand, he wasn't even throwing jabs sometimes, he was just trying to land it. And um, 
even though we went the whole, you have to credit him because the twelve rounds he never there was never a point where he didn't believe he couldn't land it. Um, but since then, I think he's learned now much better in terms of uh, waiting and and picking the time. Against Ortiz, he kind of literally kind of gave him the distance and let him walk him down and waited and waited and waited for the perfect moment to kind of for Ortiz to step in and engage. Um, the only and what he did was with Ortiz then in that he kind of nulled him into a false sense of security, where. Ortiz was doing the really simple thing like like Tyson did, um, where when his hands were up, he tried to one two and he rolled under the hook and he was out again. And then what happened was, as Ben said, he said he got too greedy. Wilders kept giving him ground for seven or eight rounds, and he's thinking, look, is this guy ever going to step forward and walk me down? And then got too greedy and he got caught. I don't know with someone's height, stature, and ability of, of Tyson when you give him that distance, like Floyd when Canelo stepped off him when he didn't know what to do he says right maybe if I step off him he'll come to me but Floyd just pass shot at him then for like two shot for two rounds he literally just went single shots pop he says I'm not going to walk you down I'm just going to pass shot you and I think someone like Tyson would lo- will do the same do you know what I mean he's just going to pass shot him in those gaps where if Boiler steps back to the ropes and wants him to walk him down uh, I don't think Tyson's going to take the bait he's just going to Posh at him in between when he's hesitating and, and bouncing on the spot. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's really down to what like what they do on the night. But my consensus is the same as yours. I think I, I want Fury to I want Fury to win, and I'm gonna be courageous in my decision here and say that he will win. And I'm actually gonna go for a late stoppage. I don't. I think Wilder won't quit. I think he. I think you, the word quit is very, very harsh on a boxer. Yeah, I think you so. Know, you I, was a bit, I was a bit harsh there myself. I think you're right. No, no, you, you can... No, I don't mean that. It's just like even amateur boxing myself, like it's, it's hard to... It's even horrible, if see, yeah. Even if you see people maybe take the easier way out, it's hard to use that word. But um, I think that um, he'll, he'll chase... He'll always believe he's going to knock Tyson out. But if Tyson, Tyson out works him and fatigue comes into play... And Tyson starts getting him in a, in, a, in a situation where he can't, where Wilder can't defend himself. I think the referee will stop it. Will step in, like looking at the clock here. It's three o'clock on Saturday, and it's already taken me a little bit longer to piece this together than I had hoped and planned. So before I get along to my chat with the pocket rocket Wayne McCullough, I want to give a big shout out and a special mention, and, uh, and send all the love and best wishes and everything I can to the Irish boxers who are entrenched in camp in Assisi in Italy. Beautiful surroundings, beautiful camp, beautiful weather and no doubt working themselves to the bone as they do and as they do on a daily basis here as they chase and pursue their dreams. A big collective shout out to them all as the prize on offer right now the small matter of the qualifiers for Tokyo 2020 Olympic qualification and this is what's been on those guys' minds 24-7 for the last at least four years some maybe six years some maybe eight years but the majority of them this Olympic cycle has been the goal it's been the crock of gold at the end of the rainbow. And the brutal and sad and not so nice part of this uh, sport is that for a lot of the guys who were in that and girls who were in that high performance unit for the last number of years, their dreams have probably had to be recalculated and some have, have changed and adapted, some have come to an end, some will continue on. 
and I'm talking of course of the squad selection for the qualifiers in London in a couple of weeks time as I said it is the 14th of March it begins in the Copper Box in London it's a massive massive opportunity for Irish fighters to get their qualification done early to get themselves on that plane get their tickets in the arse pocket and be ready to rock and put down the layers and put down even more layers because let's face it they have been they have been representing in absolute with distinction for the last few months and years and the, the performances in certain categories have just been crescendoing in the right direction at the absolute perfect time. Some of the results in Bulgaria didn't really matter, didn't matter at all because you were looking at the performance and the performances were really just jumping out of the screen and that was there for all to see. I want to give two mentions, I guess, to um, Mayal Pal Gronje, who's uh, rehabbing and recovering that injury. She's still, still bamboozling and defying the medical experts down in Tullamore as she rehabs that hand injury. And a special mention as well also to Amy Broadhurst, who I only found out during the week is nursing a small hand injury as well. So, ladies, ye are the future, ye are flying the flag, ye are representing and you're giving inspiration, as I said before, to people that you don't even know and who don't even know you. So, keep doing what you're doing and the rest will follow suit. Going to get on here to Wayne, had a quick chat with him, as I said last night, as he was on the way out the gate to see the Waynes at MGM and everything else. If you look at the knockdown, if you look at that knockdown, it wasn't as clean as it, everybody no. thought it was, but he was hurt. But when he got back up, he got about 20 seconds because the referee says, move to your left, move to your right. What? And that, and I said to my friend too, what is all that about? You're getting this, you're getting your, you're getting a test to see if you're drunk or not. Yeah. They should look at, they should look in the eye and say, do you know who we are? Yes. Won't you answer that question? Box. Because he gave him about and. And Ref- Jack Reese is a good referee, but he gave Tyson Fury at least 10 more seconds and f- when a guy was badly hurt to recover. And, he, and the, f- the round was coming to an end too. So. But I really think Wilder has an easy fight if he walks out and throws three punch, three, four punch combinations. If he walks out with a long double jab, not one jab, one jab, Fury moves away from it. If he throws one, two, Fury can move. But if he throws a double jab, right hand, left, two, great hand, one, two, hook, right hand, right hand, left, two, great hand, there's three different combinations that he could throw with three or four punches. They'll make a difference. If he averages about 40, 50 punches around, which is not bad for heavyweight, if he averages that, he wins the fight easily. If he throws 10 punches around, which he probably did the last time, then it's going to be a long night and Fury's going to box, 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 box. Stick his tongue out, put his hands down, stuff to get. You know, if I'm Wilder, I get close to him. From the beginning, he's almost as tall as him. That's two inches of a difference. He's got a long reach. Stay close to the Fury and just let let the hands go because he knows he can't be hurt. And then just let the hands go, dig the head, dig the body. And I think he can get the fight over within seven rounds. If Tyson Fury stands with Wilder, it's a quick knockout for, for Wilder, I think. Yeah, but the, and if And the, the crunk style of fighting, it's like Tommy Hearn, you come out and bang. But they lack... They lack teaching defense because, you know, Tommy Hearn's one of the greatest of all time. We know what his defense sucked. And when you hit him in the chin, he fell over, but he could crack. But Fury's not a cracker like like, like him. But so he, he comes out fans. starting to crack. He comes out starting to crack wildly, but like, oh, you're in my, this is my this is my court here, right here. Let the fight be over quickly. And then, um, plus, when you come to crack somebody, you're giving your reach away as well. So you're standing still and boom. A good heavyweight. You know, like the likes of Tyson back in the day and Holyfield, really 
they walked around at the fight weight really more or less. So just sort of just when they started training, they lost a few more pounds. They didn't have to worry about cutting 50 pounds. Well, Fury probably does. But um, why does it have a guy he had to start? When he trains hard, he probably have to start eating more. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that's the difference where you're not cutting any weight to, to make yourself weaker. And I don't care in all these different weight clubs. When you cut weight, you sort of lose a little bit of something when, you, when you're down. You might make the weight pretty easily. But it does something to your body. I think it just sort of depreciates a little bit. But these heavyweights can just they can go out there and bang for twelve rounds. And mine was one of the greatest coaches there was. Yeah. But I said only me and, me and Amanda Stewart. I knew him really well. We actually shared the same birthday, July seventh. <laughs> Every time we seen each other, we was like, "Oh, July seventh, July 7th. One thing they lack, and I say was the, the defense. He didn't have the defense. He didn't teach the defense. And and Eddie Fudge was a different ballgame. He taught, you know, offensive, defensive. You know, moving forward, moving backwards, everything. He taught everything. And um, Andy was the type of guy that could crack, but his defense wasn't the greatest either. He hit the canvas a few times on me. So, and Tyson Fury, if he fights like Andy Lee or, or, or Tommy Hearns, he gets knocked out earlier, you know what I mean? You know, Fury's always had a good jab. And if you look, if you extend that jab a little bit more by turning your body a little slightly, like by an inch, so the target's not as big, you know, that jab can be even longer, you know what I mean? A longer reach, and, and you can keep the distance away from Wilder. If Wilder throws one, two punches at a time, then he can just jab, move around, jab, move to left, move to right, throw the right hand, left hook, move around. Simple. But Mark Breland, to say, he's a great, he was a great welterweight back in the day. Yeah. And I was told that he'd been trying to tell him what to do, and he just doesn't listen. So maybe this time, he'll yeah, listen. And maybe this time, you know, as I say, he... He fought Ortiz after the after the Fury fight. Fury fought two nobodies. You know I mean, come on, he fought two guys that were getting them rounds. He, he were never going to be a, a threat to him until he got cut, and that's the last one. You know, these, these guys were two unheard of guys. Where um, Wilder steps in and fights somebody like Ortiz, he almost knocked him out the first time. You know, so if you look at that, there Wilder wouldn't fight anybody, and Fury would too. But I think with the who they fought in between, you know, it's given more more determination and strength to Wilder than it has for Fury. You can fight somebody who's a puncher. Okay, you can go sample my career. Morales, Nazim Hamed, who were two guys who were 18 guys in a row. Hamed had knocked out at, at the featherweight level. And then Morales had knocked out nine guys in a row. All, all, all these fights more at championship level. Do you think I'm dumb enough to walk in there with my hands down and walk straight forward without a game plan? You know, and Eddie Fudge gave the game plan for the for the... For the Hamid fight, it was moved it, make him move to his left, make and me move to my left, and afford the big shot. Soon he throw the big shot, block him, and come straight back yeah. to the punch. Come straight back to the punch. Because if you stand and walk, if you walk straight out, walk straight forward against a puncher, if Fury does that, you're going to get knocked out. I don't care if you've got my chin. You know, you may take a few more punches to knock you down, but if I had a cap getting hit over and over and over, your body can only take so much, you know what I mean? And I never was knocked out, but I'm not going to say I would have been knocked out, but they're chipping away. If a guy's knocking, like throwing punches and banging, 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 you can't, your body can't take that much. And just before I let Wayne run to the MGM for the uh, way in, and I, I probably mean that literally because he loves to run, I wanted to put it to him about the media demands on the fighters all week. And is it ever likely to have a drain or to have such an effect on the fighters that it might affect their the performance in the ring? 
And I also mentioned to him, and I said it as well, that uh, one of the only fights that he really had niggle to in the build-up was, of course, that little friend of his from Sheffield, Prince Nazim Hamed, which he travelled the length of the country to confront him one day and pull him up and make him an offer. No, you're right. With the Hamed fight, it was almost like, you know, all the media always took the side of Hamed. All of a sudden, he had knocked out 18 guys in a row. I'm a bantamweight, moving up, and I was going to be sparked out in two rounds. And the press cams were like that a few months before, then the press cams before, and Hamid's doing all this shit, talking and crap like that. And I'm just biting my tongue and just saying nothing, just more or less being myself, being quiet, being real. He tried to get on, underneath my skin. I just well, kept saying, you know what, guy, what, what, is, what do you, how do you believe that he's going to knock me out and never even touch the canvas? And they're like, oh, he's with a featherweight and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, okay. Yeah, like, I didn't spar with welterweights and, and, and light welterweights. <laughs> yeah, because you're stupid, like. Because I'm stupid. And Eddie, Eddie Fudge is stupid because Eddie Fudge doesn't know anything, you know. But, and then all of a sudden when the when the fight happens and then all of a sudden I'm making Hamid look bad because I'm doing certain things. <laughs> and it goes, it goes a distance and he fucking ran for 12 rounds. Then the media start making excuses about, oh, he was jet lagged and shit like that. I'm like, what do you need to do to win here? No, I mean, you, you, yeah. you go out and perform a great fight and they make more excuses. But it's like, you know what? That's the media because 99% of the media have never get, took a punch in their lives and don't what's like in that ring at all. And that's saying they have to do it. And if that doesn't whet your appetite, well, here comes former two-weight world champion, current Showtime boxing pundit, great fella joined me from the lovely sunny surroundings of Florida Polly Malinaji yeah I think I think at the at the beginning when they first signed the fight uh, even before even the first fight I mean I think the talk was more to get uh, Wilder and Joshua in the ring with each other you know but I think the only things have gone since including the way the first fight went I think Walter will agree this is the best handaway fight you can make but of course you know, it, it, it took some time for people to get through and it took some results for people to be able to come to that conclusion. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of surprising as well that uh, Deontay in the first fight, and, and I, I don't believe each promoter is going to have their own spin on it because that's that's their job. Eddie's going to put his, or Frank and, and Bob are going to put theirs on it and then Deontay's will have their own. But by and large, I think it is now, it's grown into what, it probably the first one would have been and you could imagine if there were to be a third one then it would be a, even depending on the result and how it plays out is it surprising that it took this long for Deontay to be recognised and I suppose the two of them to be recognised to come out from the shadows that AJ seemed to cast over them for so long um I think people go by popularity a lot of times um so you know AJ was the most popular so they they just automatically assumed that that was the fight to make uh, was with AJ especially with Fury after winning the Klitschko fight kind of just kind of disappeared for a bit, you know? So then people got a bit confused and, you know, the media is a pretty powerful thing, you know? So, you know, uh, the media would just jump on anything that's hot at the moment. And uh, for a time, AJ was the hottest thing. Uh, Walder was up there uh, getting all the knockouts as usual and uh, Fury was kind of out of the picture, out of the loop. So people, they started to kind of push this... Uh, Wilder versus uh, AJ agenda, but the heavyweight division is not that concrete like it was when Vladimir Klitschko was, was the champion. You know, he was, he was, I think he was a far more dominant champion than any of these guys now, and that, you know, there was really nobody had his shoulders near him, you know? Yeah. But 
to be at the moment, you know, the heavyweight division is not that concrete. You know, you have a Fury and Wilder that might be the top two, but, you know, you have AJ there, and it's Billy White, how he's not gotten a world title shot oh. beyond me. I mean, that is, that, is, uh, uh, that is pretty much criminal, how a guy like that has never fought for a world title. Um, so, you know, you have guys, obviously, like Ortiz, who gave Wilder two tough fights. You know, the heavyweight division is, uh, you know, adding Andy Ruiz, who beat Joshua, and so on and so forth. So, you know, there's guys that, there's guys in the mix that, uh, you know, can make this weight class fun, but at the moment, you know, it, it seems that Wilder and, and, and Fury have, uh, kind of positioned themselves at the top. I think you need to dance partner, but I think dance partner also comes with how limited you are. If, you, if you're a bit more limited, you're gonna have dance partner yeah. that put a, put a threat to you, you know? They look at Vladimir Klitschko's right, but I think, you know, there's some very good fighters that I think would have given, would have been pretty, pretty much top contenders today and then given a lot of guys a lot of tough fights today in today's heavyweight division, you know, a lot of them kind of went right through them, you know? Yeah. I don't know if you had any chatty game, but today you had a chance to give a lot of guys trouble, you know, I think you have, you know, you've got, uh, I can't remember all the guys, all the guys that he's faced now, but, you know, Klitschko had a lot of guys that he faced that he kind of went through them pretty easily, but, you know, you put them in today's heavyweight division, you know, a prime stampede, you know, uh, comes to mind as well, you know, uh, you, know, you put them in today's heavyweight division, you know, I'm not telling you though, They'll beat the top guys, but they'll, they'll be a threat to them, you know, just like there's a lot of threats working around that great division now. And, and they'll take them all as well and, and, and they don't there is no it's it's next in line and that's what the, that was one of the most admirable things about Vladimir as well he was he, he took whoever wanted next he, he there was no such thing as biding your time as such he, he just he took whatever was next and he faced them and, he, and it was it's a, it's a and, and from that point of view of the era and, and I do take your point as well and agree with it it's there's none of them there every one of them that are there in that top division uh, are capable on any day of, of hurting knocking out and beating and, and I think we got the biggest reminder Probably since Tyson and Douglas, didn't we last year? That that that, that little tap on the shoulder boxing gives you. There's nothing guaranteed. There's nobody sure. With with Joshua and Ruiz. Yeah, I agree. I, w- I wouldn't consider Tyson and Douglas the rule, but with the Ruiz fighting Ruiz, people kind of knew Ruiz was always a top contender. They didn't expect him to be Joshua. I mean, with Douglas, Douglas by that point had been written off. He's an even a heavyweight contender when he fought Tyson. So I think it's a. So it, it, I think they compared to the Douglas and Tyson fight. I think I still think Tyson and Douglas stands on its own. Although I, in, in seeing video of Buster Douglas, uh, uh, he was always, always very talented fighter. We give credit, but he brought that upon himself, really, you know, by kind of half-assing everything he did, you know? Yeah. So, well, by the time he fought Tyson, he was already not considered much of a contender uh, for the title at all. And so, you know, while on the other hand, I think Rudy was always considered a, a top-level fighter, just not a kind of guy that was going to be Joshua. So I think even, I still think Tyson and Douglas stands on its own, but the heavyweight division does have a way of waking you up and, you know, switching things around. I think you're right, and I think there's 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 a there's a few different, as we say, levels all the time. You've got the guys, you've got AJ Fury, Wilder at the top. I 100% agree about Dillian. I, 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 that just, it's, it, that's a whole podcast in itself, you know, and how he's managed just to keep his head right and to get his head right and stay there is, it's, it's, it, it's, it's a credit to him, but, then you've got fellas like Povetkin, you've got, as you say, um, Cuban Kong and, and lads like that, that are there that are incredible fighters and, and probably in any other era would have been and, and would be um, champions. For, for But you're, you're right about Vladimir. He was so dominant. He was so um, masterful. like and, and, and not just in the ring, the way he carried himself out of it, everything about him. He belongs up there, I believe, with with the greats of the game. For, for They can talk about his style and everything else all the like, but... Um, these two fellas, I think, prove as well that no matter how good you are or how colourful you are, 
you do need that dance partner, don't you, to help set your career alight. From your own point of view and from your own memory as, as for the title fights, Paul, you haven't worked so hard. And I love the way Lou tells the story and how you tell, tell the story about nothing was given. It was always such a, scra- such a scrap and a graph to get there. And when you get there, then there's all the obvious trap. There's all the obvious differences for us as fans. But from your point of view, from that fighter in that cocoon, what are the most obvious differences when you make that step up into the, um, I suppose, the eliminator fights or to the world title fights themselves? Well, I guess, I suppose inside the ring, you're probably going to tell me it's fighting. That's where most guys that I speak to, fighters, will tell you that that's where they're at the most comfortable, isn't it? Because that's what you do. But I guess in the run-up to it, and what I'm, what I'm getting to is the, the amount of media, the, the amount of media demands that are on the fellas this week. You can start to see it. I thought the other night was just a little bit too much. I thought it went on too long. I thought it was entertaining. But you do have to remember, these fellas have a bigger... Be- And now you're on that other side. So you've gone from being in front of the microphone to being behind it. And you're, you're it's something that I think I've said it to you in message before. I, I really admire it because there's a lot of people now, clickbait seems to be the way to go. And, and yeah, you get, might get your five minutes of fame out of it, but you're only going to really, excuse the French, shit on somebody once before they're going to remember and say, you're not doing that to me again. I, I would always prefer to be the side of the mic where you're like critique rather than criticism. You can look at someone and say, okay, they didn't do that right. That mightn't have been right, but there's the other way rather than is that something that just comes naturally to you you don't feel the need look you're not shy you'll say what you have to say but it's it's more often than not it's respectful and it's a fighter's point of view Why? 
So, so I, I, I do think that the, the criticism has to be constructive. It has to come with some kind of tactical uh, and technical analysis. And it can't just be an opinion. It has to be technical and technical. And if it's, ta- if it's not tactical and technical, it's strictly, it's strictly opinion. And don't get me wrong, tactical and technical can be just opinion too. But yep. it's there's got to be some tactical and technical behind that opinion. If it's just strictly opinion, then, then I'm at the risk of getting stupid. Yeah. I'm getting a little bit of a feel before I let you go after this, but I'm getting a little bit of a feel of the Frotch Groves 2 fight to this. By that I say I've noticed a lot of changes in Deontay. Um I noticed he 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 was first to the punch the other night, he beat Tyson to the punch or he certainly tried to in the press conference where Tyson has famous for people that watch him closely a flipping the script fight week and he turns it on its head and he tends to get in there. Deontay made his, a very concerted effort and, and I would say didn't let that happen the other night. Is that fair to say? Yeah, he didn't. Well, well, <laughs> you could argue that by the fact that he was doing it was Tyson in his head. But the fact that he didn't, there was a lot of times in the first fight in the press conference in fight week that Tyson was able to just leave Deontay without any answers and without anything to say. Whereas this time round, credit where it's due, Deontay was the one doing that at times. watched the fight again this morning it's the first time I've watched it since on purpose I didn't want it to allow because we were doing a couple of episodes and chatting to a few Richard Towers and a few other fellas that would know Deontay and, and just trying to just trying to put a little bit of a different flavour because here in Ireland it's all obvious it's all Tyson 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 but I'm going to be a little bit objective and just to look at angles from different sides but I looked at the fight this morning and I've forgotten really how much action there was in that final round it really was if if if, if this is to become the 13 round we're in for something special aren't we Its own course in the first half, and then suddenly, you 
Right. Right in It's impossible to predict because you could probably, as you said, let it fall on the table five times, and it could probably fall differently five times each time. Um, just, just to pick up something there on you, and just, just to pick on that point that you made there about the the fatigue, it is, and and it's something that I guess they work on rep, on on repetition and repeating in camp so much and so often. But is there any one thing or set of things that you can? put in place to compensate or nullify that fatigue when it, when you when you feel it coming on in a fight? Is it a mindset? Is it just muscle memory? Is is there any I think, I think, I think the repetition of, of correct fundamentals is very important. I think, you know, this is where this is where being a fundamental fighter really can help you out is when when you when you're fatiguing your your the repetition of fundamentals can kind of get you through the tough situations, you know? Um because you know anybody can still throw a punch when it's fatigue, but you know it's a little bit wider And that's the thing about it. People, most people don't have much of a taste for it. Is a taste for their own blood. Things start to get very different when they start feeling that and seeing it. And they're so, look, I wouldn't ask for any one specific prediction because, as we said, that it can. But who do you believe can make the most of changes, the most adaptions that can influence enough to? Um, now, the big equalizer obviously is the right hand. But who do you believe over over the duration can make the most changes and and enough to make the win to get the win? Wilder. 
Definitely will, definitely will. Um, I think I myself have seen a lot of the footage I've seen recently of Tyson in camp, and and they're very astute. Team Kronk as well would be very, very astute. They're very, very capable of, of feeding enough red herrings to, to lead people on straight. But anything you've seen of Tyson in public workouts and stuff that most times can be taken with a grain of salt is he has been doing stuff in Southpaw. So perhaps that Southpaw style could negate a lot of the, um, Deontay's job as well. Time is going to tell. I'd say it's it's going to probably be two or three different phases of the fight if, if it goes that far. And, and this, again, it's, this brings up conversation on top of conversation because also the softball stance, you know, um, one thing about different stances is as professional fighters, we can all throw punches out of, the stand, out of different stances, but the difference is we cannot defend out of different yes. stances. Once you can defend out of both stances, then I think you're naturally a, 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 a fighter that can 
position, then yes, of course, he's going to be able to negate Wilder's jab. But if his defense is not great out of the southpaw position, you're actually fighting more right hands, which is Wilder's dynamite punch. And you're in, inviting it just simply from being a southpaw that, you know, may not defend as well from that stance, you know, and then being yeah. a southpaw automatically creates more openings for the big right hand. So, again, these are just conversations that could, you know, build up yeah. one side to the other. It's exactly what it is, and it's overall. I guess what you're saying is it's the it's the it's the fundamentals, the ring IQ, and then basically just the winning of the fight. It's it's, it's going to it's how the game flows and who can impose their style on it. Um, I think it's the same as we said. Just wanted to chat to you a little bit before you go about the ultimate boxer. It's uh, exciting times. It seems that the, this tournament fighting has caught on quite a lot, hasn't it? Stevie Donnelly then of course was great for ourselves to have our own the first Irish winner of it it was brilliant for him and he, and he showed quite a lot of different layers to himself didn't he? as you said the tank was, was almost I would say it certainly had more than enough in the tank and it was the winning of it one of the big factors that won that final for him the tank was just so he had so much in it and, and it was it was special for it was great for his point of view because his career had kind of ebbed and flowed stopped started and threatened almost to peter out but it's given him a new lease of life and the last thing I want to say the Olympics coming around um, it, uh, it, Italy, Italian boxing is enjoying a resurgence at the moment of course with Guido Vanilo as well and, and prospects like that do you see much coming from the Olympics? Are you hopeful? Um, you know, this is the idea change over the, the way the Olympic tournaments we run this year. Um, I, I haven't really been understanding of, of how uh, how it's working. It's funny the, the the longer time you you spend away from you spend away from amateur boxing, the less you start to understand it. You know, so she has to keep changing the rules. But um, I, you know, I, I think even in, uh, in the Olympics, Italy has had a, a, a good run in the past ten years or so. You know, but I think a lot of that generation has uh, has uh, kind of gotten a little bit older. Some of them are time pro, some of them are just retired. Um, I'd like to see you know Italy 
sort of be the Italian amateur federation sort of be less political, you know. And, and what I saw in, in, in Italy, uh, it's it, 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 the national team is kind of set and made, and they don't like kind of more yep. kind of set and make it they kind of it's kind of difficult to kind of knock somebody off his off, off that pedestal, you know. Even if if they're doing it's coming back up the ladder, or who may be able to compete for a spot, you know. I do think that you have to keep things flowing. I do think you have to keep guys hungry. I do think you have to make guys feel. absolutely segued into the perfect finish because the next the last point I had was being a Juve fan building the new new look team and, and what a what a special thing. like talk now of Pep and, and joining up and having Del Piero there it's it's it's, it's perfect and not many people mightn't be familiar here in Ireland that you are a big um, Juve fan but you also you had the red carpet rolled out to you I believe um, shout out to to uh, Kieran was telling me that AC Milan were more than welcoming to you when you won your world titles as well is that right? Yeah, and you know what it is? I, as a United fan, I always remember my greatest memory and my greatest feeling as a United fan was to beat that absolutely fa- fantastic UA team. And what a game that was over as well, to go there and to be under the cosh. And, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, and to be, and, and to have the, yeah, it was. And, and then they were in the same group, if I remember that year, and then they progressed and met in the latter stages. And, Teams, but you're, they always had that balance. Like you had Boxic, Delivio, Del Piero, you had Zidane. They were all incredible players, and but the balance on the team was almost—it was never off. It was always, and and funnily enough, that United team, the final started. I think we started with um, Jordi Cruyff, I think on the on the right. I know it was Blomqvist on one side, Beckham on the other. Which you would never have picked Blomqvist to start, but it was the overall balance that Ferguson was looking at. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
Yes, yes. And then at the latter stage... That, we lost to that Dortmund team in the semi-final and I was thinking the exact same as you so I know exactly how you feel almost done almost done and before we wrap it up with the Pink Panther Jim Rock himself I'm going to give a few little pearls of wisdom of my own just my own take on how I see tonight's going to go I can't offer anything more than two out of three and the third world champion is going to tell you here now what I'm going to say is he's going to have to frustrate Fury is going to have to frustrate Wilder he's going to have to um He's going to have to maul him. He's going to use his bulk. He's going to use all the tricks to the trade. Pin him on the ropes. Move him around. Turn him around. Keep turning him around so that he's not walking in that cannon. And the inside game is going to have to pepper him with high and low jabs. Wilder doesn't have an inside game. None. We know that's not going to happen. And with Kenny Bayless, probably not going to have to worry too much about it. He opts the clinch and hold. Fury needs to work on that body when he's in the clinch and in the hold. And just uppercut as well while he's in there because Wilder's defensive game hasn't been the sharpest it hasn't and it hasn't needed to be to be fair to him and when you look at the Ortiz fight you're getting so many keys to victory there keys to the kingdom as I say Fury just can't get lazy it's very simple he cannot switch off he can't uh, he can't just lie on the ropes and take counters he can't take uh, he can't drop the hands he can't lie as I said or roll out lazy rolls out of the shots he just must have to keep his hands up all the time when he's in range he has to keep them up he can't allow any cheap ones he can't um, he, when Wilder throws that overhand right a lot a, an awful lot it's going to have to he's going to have to try and block it catch it maybe and then counter it from there Wilder's defence is to lean back and retreat if Tyson's not technically on point it's going to cause him to miss and burn energy so he needs to try and throw a straight right back at Wilder as he's backing out and when Wilder then is about to detonate his right hand, he twitches constantly, constantly twitches. So if you look at that right hand that's about to come across, he's twitching. A little tell that Kieran gave us a few minutes ago that Tyson tends to do when he's losing concentration is he goes for the nose, he rubs the nose and you'll see. So these are little things that you're looking at that we're trying to clutch at straws. But ultimately, these two behemoths are going to go toe-to-toe at some point in the fight as they can't help it. It's in their DNA. And I'm going to let you listen to the absolute... One of the most colourful 
the most charismatic, the most larger than life, but one of the most pleasant and polite fellas you could hope to meet. Definitely in an interview anyways. I'm sure if you're trying to take his belt off him, <laughs> Jim Rock would be a different sort of uh, opponent altogether. But he was very welcome to me this morning and got his thoughts. I'm going to round up the episode with this. I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank you for your patience. I want to thank Nick. I want to thank Richard. I want to thank Kieran. I want to thank everybody who's joined me across the other episodes. I have some smashing interviews with Ali McKenzie for next week, of course, who filmed the Void, he filmed The Search and he is just a top fella he was on location this weekend with the two Tyrones and a shout out to the two Tyrones last night, Mixed Fortunes in your call was a Tyrone McKenna got the win, he advances to the final against OHD OHD and what a final that will be and listen to Tyrone McCullough, keep your head up my man uh, started off in sensational fashion, sensational, wasn't to be Ryan Walsh is a powerful character he he imposed his will on the fight and he got the win in the end but there's nothing lost in defeat for you and everybody that was there Louise, Ali and all the gang and all the teams from McKenna's from the McCullough's from Pete Taylor's gym and all that sensational atmosphere you could hear it you could almost taste it so mixed fortunes and best of luck to Tyrone McKenna in the final and as I said I'm going to let you play out here listening to the colourful character Pink Panther Jim Rock You buy and you catch fall for it every single time. I don't know if you've watched any of the build up to it, but it's starting to get that big fight feel. If you remember the likes of Lewis Holyfield and Tyson Lewis, and are you getting that feel from it at all? Oh, yeah, listen, there's lots of talk on about it, which is, which is very good. Um, like, and I think that's more, that's all down to Tyson Fury. But I think 
So when you put that into context, ten stone, it's it's a person's weight, really, isn't it? It's a body. It's a small person. Well, it is. I mean, it's a light weight. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of superstars out there. You know, yeah. you had your Ricky Hatton. Karen Frampton. <laughs> Do you think that's what's going to shine through without looking for a big prediction or rounds or anything else? Do you think that's when it comes down to everything else, all the all the extras taken away, the fundamentals will be left with the better boxing? Yeah. Flatline, flatline. Thanks a lot, Jim. And apologies for the little deviation in the sound quality there at the end. I caught Jim when he was in work this morning. Very good to give me some of his time. Amazing to have three world champions on one episode as we f- count down now. It's hours away, hours away. Thanks very much for listening. It's been a pleasure. It's been learning. It's been insightful. It's been fun. And if you wonder how the world champions rock on a Saturday evening, are they out partying? Well, Jim reliably informs me. He'll be at home with the feet up. He'll be watching The Voice. He'll be watching Tom Jones. He'll be watching all of the good stuff that goes on on the ice and on the islands and in the all those sort of places. And he'll be in bed by 12 o'clock, he tells me. Who am I to doubt? I'm going to leave you with one thought. When the only tool you've got in the box is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. For me and them until then, all's well that ends well.